So, hi. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for your time. So I'll, I'll get started. Uh, my name is Sonia Jean Kilbrew, and I'm recording this for the Oral History Project, Black America in COVID. So I'll just say a little bit about myself and then we'll get started talking with, with our guests. Um, so I'm a Black American. My mom is Jamaican American and then my dad was Native, well, Indigenous American and African American. And I'm a teacher. And just so, I, someone told me it'd be interesting to share that I'm a fourth generation teacher. So my mom's a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica for 20 years and then a teacher in New York City for 20 years. And my great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica towards the late 1800s. And my mom said that when she got married, she was no longer allowed to work because it wasn't considered respectable for married women to work in the 1800s, which is ironic because my mom started teaching after she got married. So I thought that was... <laughs> Very interesting, very interesting. So great. So now I will introduce my guest. I'm so honored to be speaking with, with well, my aunt. So please tell us your name. Sure, I am Marcia Robinson. Thank you. And do you identify as Black? I do, I do, definitely. I've, I'm an immigrant from Jamaica. I've been in the U.S. for almost 35 years. Um, I'm a mother of two Black American children who, of course, we refer to as Jamaicans because they're very much American, um, but definitely also have those roots and understand that, um, that history. Um, both my parents are, were from Jamaica, born in Jamaica. Um, but both were descended from Irish immigrants who went to Jamaica as part of the British, you know, uh, slave trade. And so um, my, my grandfather on my mother's side um, was a small horn and lived on a, a property called Ballycrystal. So they carried their very Irish, you know, behaviors and practices with them. And he married a Jamaican woman um, whose parents were from Panama. So just this huge concoction. <laughs> and then my father was born on a property called Arabia Felix. And I grew up and was born in a small place called Aleppo, which both are Middle Eastern terms, um, you know, Arabia Felix being the original name of Yemen, and then, you know, being born on this place that's named after a city in Syria. So via, again, Ireland, I end up with this mixture of, you know, um, very Jamaican, Indian, um, Black, you know, family. Um, but migrated to the U.S. Yeah, about 35 years ago, lived in three countries, Jamaica, England, and Canada before I came to the U.S. I am currently a human resources executive and an entrepreneur and identify 
both as a Black person and very much with Black people and the Black experience in America. Thank you. That's interesting. Yeah. So my mom said that my great-grandmother was the daughter of an Irish woman and a Jamaican Black man also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's very, very, very normal in Jamaica. Interesting. So can you share what it was like living during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021? <sighs> that was a really challenging experience. Um, I went to Jamaica in February of 2020. That was actually the last time I saw my, my siblings and or my two remaining siblings, my two brothers. And I went to Jamaica and came back, not knowing that there was a, I remember being in Florida and talking to my girlfriends and saying, oh yeah, have you guys heard about this, this virus, this thing? And I came back from Jamaica, it was like the 13th of February. And then a month later, we were in a lockdown. So one of the things about being an immigrant is it's strange, but you always feel like you have a place to go. You have someplace else that you need to be or, you know, because my siblings are there, but it was a very strange feeling to feel like you couldn't go, you know, like you couldn't go anywhere. Like you, you just, I couldn't see them. If something happened, I couldn't go if, you know, and I'm the youngest so that was a big major worry for me. And then by May of 2020, my first cousin passed away in New York. She was, she lived in Queens, Jasmine Smallhorn, and we called her Curly. Um, one of my aunts named her Curly when she was a little, a little girl. And she passed away. And so I did my first Zoom funeral. It was maybe May of 2020. And I hate to say, but I've probably known, I think it's about 10 different people who have passed away from COVID. Um, Curly was the, you know, the first one in my family who I'm at the funeral here in Pennsylvania where I am. And I have cousins in Jamaica who are also at the funeral because, you know, we're all doing funerals on, on, on Zoom, which was a, a strange experience. And at the same time, I'm working in human resources. So on the front line of not just what's happening in my own family, but in the families of every employee. You know, we had to adjust schedules so people wouldn't be in the space at the same time, you know, um, set up technology so people could work remotely. Um, because in my work, we manage public housing units in Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. And so you have buildings with seniors, all seniors, a very target, very vulnerable population. And so it's trying to protect the residents, trying to protect the staff, you know, trying not to have any outbreaks in the buildings. Um, but you felt like every individual person 
have their own set of scenarios, whether it's parents who had to homeschool, people who didn't even physically have the space inside of their houses to actually work remotely. You know, we think, oh yeah, let's set that up. And we're able to set it up, but we're not thinking that not everybody has the space inside of their homes. You know, not everybody wants us to see inside of their home. So it touched on a lot of social issues, you know, um, and just trying to be very respectful of individuals and their individual situations. Um, working in an office where you have rules and guidelines, but people are coming with their own political perspectives on vaccines, on treatments, on, you know, it, it, I ended up last July with high blood pressure. My entire life, I've been a person with low blood pressure, but it was, I think it was just the overwhelming nature of everything that, you know, um, we have to be dealing with in work and, you know, um, and another cousin of mine passed away in May of last year. So it was like a year between two cousins, but in the middle, you know, um, my stepdaughter or stepfather passed away, a high school girlfriend who had been an AIDS activist who survived AIDS and, you know, succumbed to COVID. And, you know, my cousin uh, Curly in May of 2020, and then in 2021, my 43-year-old cousin, Corcel Smallhorn again, also in Queens, who worked at, I think it's called the Harper Hospital in Queens, he developed COVID and passed away. And it was... The day of his service, that one we did via YouTube, you know, we were doing these services. We did that one via YouTube. And I remember that afternoon, May, I think it was like 14th. And I was in a flower store, you know, because it's spring and they're putting out all the new plants and I'm in this flower store and I'm wearing a mask. And this woman comes up and she says, you know, you don't need to wear a mask anymore because they just said, you don't have to wear a mask. And I was, I was kind of offended. I was like, you can choose not to wear a mask if you want to, but we just buried my cousin this morning, 43 years old, three sons under 18 in New York. So COVID hasn't gone away, you know? So if you want to choose not to wear a mask and she says, well, I had COVID. And, you know, it was a horrible situation, but I recovered. I'm like, well, good for you. There are a lot of people who didn't recover. You know, I, I had my god sister. Her sister's husband passed also in New York. And, you know, this is in the early part of COVID and it's like, where do you bury him? How do you bury him? Do you get his body back to another country? You know, it, it was, it's, and I still feel like it's not over, you know, even though I, I, I have people who pretend like it is. I don't know if I was just super fearful or what, but 
Not to mention the fact that our two grown children live in New York City. So it's the panic of that, you know, um, oh my gosh, they're in New York, which is like ground central. Um, we didn't see them that first Christmas. You know, we had Zoom dinner. Um, <laughs> but it, it's been an interesting, but it's given a lot of perspective because those are some of the bad things, but I have five girlfriends from high school and we get together every Monday night on Zoom and, you know, we're all over the country, um, including all, we have uh, one person in Jamaica, but we get together and it's like we're 11 and 12, except we're talking about, you know, big issues of retirement. And if it hadn't been for COVID, we probably wouldn't do that. So on one hand, it's been horrible, but on the other hand, the technology and the situation has forced us to rekindle and you know revive some of our relationships that we have. Um, with people who we don't see every day, you know what I mean? And you get to realize that even though you're far away from everybody, you're still connected. And one of my girlfriends, she talks all the time about trying to focus on what is real, you know, and, and that's kind of helped us to, yes, we're in COVID, yes, we're parents of grown children, but we're still looking forward to being able to travel together again and, you know, do those kinds of things again. So very fortunate um, of our group of six, only one of us was positive. And um, she lives in Georgia. And those are some of the things we would, you know, we'd be checking on, well, what's your vaccination rate? What's What's your governor saying down there in Georgia or Texas versus Pennsylvania versus New York? Um, but I think we've been able to keep each other steady. <laughs> and I know once I had, um, once a blood pressure issue arose, I just knew I had to approach it in a different way. So, you know, do my regular walks, you know, just to kind of clear your mind of all the things you can't do and all the worries that you have about COVID. So it's been a challenge, very challenging two years. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think people think about HR professionals when they think about frontline people, you know, <laughs> they're thinking about the teachers, which is definitely there are a lot of professionals who have to be on the front line, um, but people didn't think about HR professionals. And, you know, there are a lot of HR professionals who left the profession, who just couldn't, it, it was just too much. It was just too much. You know, you had to be pushing back on leadership, pushing back on staff, but you know, when something came up and the typical response would be, no, we can't do that. 
as HR, I had to say, well, exactly why can't we do that? You know, if, if this person can't be here this time because they have to be homeschooling their children, what's wrong with us splitting up a day? You know, so we had to challenge a lot of what we took for granted, you know. But um, I always think about my two cousins, like they were a year apart. So, you know, it's, it's still, <laughs> it's still critical. It, you know, it doesn't, it, it hasn't gone away. It hasn't gone away, so. Wow. Do you have any plans to go to Jamaica? Is Jamaica open to? to... It is. It is. Um, I keep watching the the vaccination rate, you know, and it's 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 still very low, you know. So, and my my one of my brothers is um, immunocompromised a little bit, so I don't want to play with, you know, with that. And the other one is older than me. Um, but you also don't want to expose them to anything unnecessarily, you know, but yeah, people do, people are going back and forth. People are traveling. Um, but you know, given everything that's like during the George Floyd scenario, it hit me really hard that COVID has me like trapped which I, I've never really felt that way before, but you always feel like you could travel outside of the country. Like, you know, when the social issues get to be like too much in the US sometimes, you know, that would be a break. That would be a chance to go somewhere and just feel like you're a part of it, but you have an outlet. You know, and so when we didn't have that, it was like America was like really, really home. And so, you know, every day I felt like just going and laying down on the sidewalk just for my own protest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to like, this is just so, and they just kept happening. So it's like between COVID and, you know, I think we couldn't, like take her eyes off that. And because everything was kind of shut down, we were forced to like look at it and examine it and say, why, you know, why is it that we have to live like that? And even under a pandemic where, you know, um, that's a lot of pressure. The pandemic is a lot of pressure, but the fact that people got up and went out and marched in it you know, it was like, this is still a moment that we could kind of take advantage of, you know, or make a change. And I think people were more open to a change because we were all in this shared COVID experience. Um, so maybe that's another positive that I try to see, you know, what, what's good that's come out of it and, you know, I think there is the promise that we can be a, a different kind of country because we realized we were all kind of suffering through COVID together and we all observed 
the George Floyd scenario situation. And Ahmad and, you know, we, we, we saw them right in front of our faces and people couldn't deny it. So if, if there are two positives is that we get to communicate and cluster again with people who are far away, but you're forced to build the relationships because you feel like you have nothing else. And the fact that we could be on the front line and people were open to changing some of our attitudes towards black people inside of this country, you know, kind of like we were all in it together. It's not going to last forever because we're going to go back to, you know what I mean? It's always going to be there. But for that little bit, it felt like, oh, other people saw it, you know, so. Yeah. But yeah. I felt the same way. It was yeah. amazing. A lot of my classmates who were white Americans, they went out and they protested. Right. Yeah, because they could just see the, the inhumanity in treating a man like that. Like America yeah. called, everyone felt the injustice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm glad you used that word, you know, humanity, where we were in this shared experience of COVID and I think we were just raw. And so when we saw someone that wasn't bad enough. COVID's not bad enough. You have to put that on top of it. How do you find time to destroy a person's life like that? You know, with your hand on your hip or in your pocket, like, and so I think people rightly, you know, I don't know if, if, it, if I call it COVID oppression. <laughs> you know, where you feel like you're so under the weight of it. Well, maybe you understand what that feels like to be always checking double, you know, it's kind of how, how black people, I think in America, sometimes we have to like double check, check our behavior, check where we go, you know, pay attention to who's behind us, who's beside us, who's, you know, and always be thinking about our position and where we are. And then here comes COVID and everybody has to do it. And so I thought maybe they understand a little bit, white America understands a little bit of what that oppression feels like because we're, we're kind of all have to experience COVID together. Um, That's such a good point because thousands of people were dying a day. So every day people thought, am I next? Am I going to get sick? Am I about to die? You're right, that hypervigilance that we as Black Americans live with all the time. All the time. Yeah, we're constantly All thinking, the time. Do I look like a non-threat? Even though we're not threatening, we have to be hypervigilant about how we're acting, how we're standing. No, you're, you're right. And so it's like the whole country had to do that. You know, people are like, oh, I don't want to wear a mask. Really? Have you seen? We used to have water fountains. You know what I mean? It's, so, it, 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 it's, a, it's been a very interesting experience. And, you know, the fact that people understand that, yeah, there are restrictions that we live with as Black people. You know, we can't go into here. We can't you know, or we feel like we're being watched. Well, you know, that's what COVID did probably for a lot of us. So um, I don't know if, if 
long-term, the empathy will, you know, but I, I do see if there's a third positive, it's what's happening in workplaces, you know, in terms of people became really aware of which organizations cared about them and which ones did not. And, you know, I, I hear all these organizations now saying, oh, we can't find people. Well, maybe you didn't even try to hold on to them. The minute the pandemic came, you cut them loose. You know what I mean? So they felt they had, you had no connection to them. So why should they have any connection to you? And I think that's one of the things that we're kind of coming out of COVID with is a greater awareness of the value of every single role inside of the organization and every single worker, you know, the frontline folks who kept the buses and the trains and food on our table, you know, those people had some visibility, you know, and you're hoping that organizations moving forward recognize that every single person is to be valued. And I see that happening on the HR side. I see the, the concept of wellness, mental you know, wellness, mindfulness, being much more present um, in workplaces because we've gone through this shared COVID experience. You know, I, I've talked to Black employees who work remotely, who they will never go back to working in an office. They, they don't want to, they don't want to stand up water coolers with people who don't like them. You know what I mean? They, they, they just, the, the stress level just, you know, it, it's very different, you know, even though some people feel like when you work in a remote scenario, you have some managers who are task managers. You know, they want to know what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing, and they kind of pressure you to do that. But the ability to get up and walk away and breathe and get a cup of coffee in your own kitchen and not have to be meeting with people who don't like you or who you don't like or who you felt never valued you in the workplace. I, th I think organizations are getting to respect people who don't want to work in those kinds of environments anymore. You know, so that's another spinoff that I've seen from my role as a human resources professional um, during that's, COVID. Thank you yeah. for sharing that because I listen to podcasts or business owners they lament like the workers aren't coming back, but they're not paying the workers a living wage right? or not giving them health care. And then they wonder why the workers aren't coming back. Not coming back. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, you know, not every organization, our organization, we're like, even if they're temporary employees, if they're sick, we're going to make sure that they have sick leave. You know what I mean? That they're not pressured to come back into the office because now you're putting everybody at risk. You know what I mean? People, 
because like you said earlier, you, you catch COVID or you get COVID, you don't know what your prognosis is like. You know, I've had employees whose friends have passed away, whose husband was on a ventilator, you know, whose mother was, you know, it's, we've had it all really in the workplace. And so some organizations have been good at really making people understand that we really value who you are. And then you have other organizations that they didn't care if their people were on the front line, they didn't take any extra steps to make sure they were safe or they cut them loose. And then they're wondering why they're not coming back, you know, and, they wonder, well, yeah, we can't, they don't want to work. They don't want to work for you. Exactly. There are a lot of articles where employees will have these mass Zoom meetings and then the director would say, if you're in the Zoom meeting, this is your last day. Yeah. <laughs> like, Can you believe that? Can you believe yeah. that? It's so just- on one hand, you see, you know, we've seen this burst of empathy and humanity. And then on the other hand, you know, we also saw the worst of some people. You know, and, and some of those people were managers and business owners and organizations that just. Yeah, they know. just want to cut costs. They're all about bottom line and whether or not these workers had another plan or another source of income. They were unconcerned. It was it was stunning. A lot of companies were doing it. I remember reading on Twitter, people would snapshot like their their Zoom screen and say, I just got laid off with. All these other people. All these other people. Fortunately, I think those employers are in in the mind. You know, they're they're a smaller number. Um, but we also have social media where we've we've learned to broadcast and shame those kinds of employers. You know, and during COVID, we were shaming those kinds of employers all the time. So. Um, But yeah, I think things like health disparity, like who has access to what kind of health care and, you know, and that just was there, just full frontal and, you know, just front and center. Um, You know, technology, you know, in Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, I think they stopped the um, online classes because so many of the children didn't have technology, you know, so they, they stopped doing online courses. So, you know, some of the kids were just not being taught or, you know, parents had to go drive to, um, you know, sit in areas where they could get, you know, Wi-Fi to, to do, to do their work. So no, it's been it's been it's been a challenging experience, and um, hopefully we'll come out of it with some lessons learned. So, thank you so much for sharing. Like everyone needs to hear every Black American's perspective and how profoundly we were impacted. And you're in Pennsylvania, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, yeah. I'll I'll message you when I put the podcast up. And I don't know um, how long it takes to get into the Smithsonian, but that's my goal to have all. That's your goal. Good. Good. Good.
Awesome. Well, let me know if I can, you should talk to um, Makiba because as a performer, that's been very challenging not to be able to perform. I will. That's why yeah. I'm a singer. I will. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome.